Move over, Moses. New York City courthouse is now enshrined with a Medusa-like idol in order to protest any laws that take away the right to sacrifice innocent babies in the womb. And Madonna is once again attempting to blaspheme her way back into the spotlight. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a couple of different stories, actually a number of different stories regarding blasphemy and idol worship. But before we get into that, we would love for you to make sure you click on the like button here as well as subscribe to the channel because guess what? We've actually just recently had a comment on our latest video regarding the fact that people are not actually having our videos come up on their feed even though they subscribe to us. In fact, one person said that they've got the algorithm all messed up and they're not seeing our videos unless they go in and search for them. So the more comments, the more likes, the more subscribers, it is always best that you can do those things to make sure you are seeing all of our videos. And hopefully we're an encouragement to you and that you can use Good Fight Ministries, specifically 511 News, as you're on this episode today, in order to take the stories of today, bring them captive to the obedience of Christ, and be able to share them with your coworker, maybe somebody on your kid's football or basketball or baseball team, and you actually have the news of today, but we bring it captive here to the obedience of Christ. And one of those stories today that we want to talk about is the latest sculpture. Really, it is an idol outside of the New York City courthouse. And in fact, New York Times wrote an article about it saying this, Move over Moses and Zoroaster. Manhattan has a new female lawgiver. The artist Shazia Sikander calls the eight-foot sculpture she has placed atop a New York courthouse an urgent form of, quote, resistance. So what kind of resistance is Shazia Sikander trying to push? Resist against sin? Resist against lawbreakers? Absolutely not. As the article goes on to say, frenzied commuters in New York's Flatiron District have been stopped in their tracks in recent days by an unlikely apparition near Moses, Confucius, and Zoroaster. Standing atop the grandiose state courthouse is a shimmering, golden, eight-foot female sculpture emerging from a pink lotus flower and wearing Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's signature lace collar. So you hear about gold structures. Uh, Of course, I'm sure that some of the imagery back in Moses' time might come up. I mean, you have Confucius out there. You have... Uh, Zoroastrianism and represented as well. So you do have paganism as well as even having idols of Moses and so forth. But nonetheless, when we look at this, this is supposed to be an homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court justice who passed away more recently. And now when you look at this, well, what is it all for? Why is Shazia Sikander, why is this artist, why has she made this sculptor? Why has she made this piece to put it right there so that, honestly, millions will see, not only by pictures and videos and so forth, but also the many commuters there in New York City. Quote, She is a fierce woman and a former resistance 
in a space that has historically been dominated by patriarchal representation. Sikander, who previously served on the New York Mayoral Advisory Commission of City Art, Monuments, and Markers, she said the work was called, quote, now, because it was needed now, at a time when women's reproductive rights were under siege after the U.S. Supreme Court in June overturned the constitutional right to abortion. Now, even in the article, isn't it so interesting that these news outlets can't ever give you the objective story. They have to make sure that everything's an opinion piece. Everything is an opinion piece. The constitutional right to abortion. Guys, there is absolutely no constitutional right for you to be able to slaughter a baby in the womb. There's not a single constitutional right. You have the right to life. In fact, that's part of the Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life is first. And the fact is, is that when somebody goes into an abortion clinic and ends the life of a child, they've taken away their constitutional right for life. I mean, it's a very simple thing to understand. So any right that would take away the right of the baby is not a right. In, in fact, you can call it law breaking and anyone can write any law in the books that they want to. But the fact is, is murder is murder regardless of who tries to change the definition. A woman is a woman, regardless of who tries to change the definition. A man is a man, regardless of who tries to change the definition. You can fight against reality, but you will never correspond to it, and you'll never have the truth. And so you'll be living by lies, and that is what is going on here. Now, I will point this out, because I want to bring this up, because I've seen a lot of the Reconstructionists and the NAR movement these guys will point to these sorts of situations and basically say, see, if you are not ready to have a governmental alliance of Christians in order to reconstruct the government here in the United States, ultimately you're allowing for these things to happen, the Medusas and so forth. So if you are not aligned with what is known as Christian nationalism, if you are not part of our process of making sure that eventually we can stomp out atheism by way of laws, and maybe we have another situation where we can put people to death because of them going against convictions or so forth, guys, this is not the biblical position at all that we see under the new covenant. We don't see it at all. You do not see that the Christians will control the world, and then eventually after we control the world, we'll turn the entire world into Christians, and then Jesus will come back. That is a false teaching, and it's a dangerous teaching, and it lines up with both the Reconstructionists and also lines up with the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, the Dominionists like Bethel and so forth. And so we want to say, don't allow this wickedness that is around us to get us to pendulum swing over to a place where we're going to say, let's control everything. And once we control everything, we'll convert everyone to Christians because ultimately under the new covenant, when it comes to the spirit of God, the spirit of truth that goes out, God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the, no matter what legislation you put up, there is no amount of legislation that regenerates. Ultimately, the thing that regenerates is the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer who comes to him in faith. And so we want to make sure that we are turning to Christ and we want to make sure that we're sharing the gospel. So when we see these stories, when we see this stuff going on, yes, let's preach against it. It doesn't mean you are sidled on the sidelines, unable to speak out against the wickedness of the day. John the Baptist clearly called out Herod. He was not a believer, and yet he still called him out 
for his wickedness. There is nothing wrong with calling out sin, even when it comes to the governmental systems around us. There is something wrong with hoping that one day we will be the ones who reconstruct the government and put a theocracy back in order because there is not only nowhere where that's prescribed for the New Testament believer, but also there's nowhere that tells us that's what takes place in the end times. It's precisely the opposite. The ones who control Babylon, the seven mountains, as so many want to have uh, the seven mountain mandate and so forth, those are actually the ones against Christ. So we don't want to be on that team. But nonetheless, it is important that we do get involved when we can and do we do speak the truth. And ultimately, the thing that changes people is a new heart regenerated. Because if you're one of those ones, and I had this conversation at a private conversation with one of the leading guys in a lot of the pro-life movement who is a Christian, and I said my consternation when it comes to the pro-life movement amongst Christians is that the linking of arms that happens amongst Christians and Catholics because we're not on the same team. I'm fighting for the gospel because I know when we are outside of an abortion clinics, which we've done here in the United States, we've done in Holland and other places, when we are outside of there, the goal is to get the mother saved because saved people regenerated in the Lord don't go and kill their babies. So my goal is to see them saved and in Christ. That's my ultimate goal because more and more people that are regenerated with the Holy Spirit inside of them, then less and less people will want to kill their children. And warning and warning about these things is something that needs to happen all over because the constant cultural norms pushing on the men and women, sadly, don't even get me started with the men, the cowards that not only push women to do this, give them ultimatums. Some, some sports stars are known for having women sign contracts that if they get pregnant after sleeping with them, they're going to abort the baby. No joke, before they'll sleep with them. This is the kind of stuff that goes on in this wicked society. But the norm in the society of pushing this stuff. So she calls this the resistance. What are you resisting? Ultimately, the only thing that even scrapping Roe v. Wade, it's the least the courts could do. It's the absolute positively least the courts could do because all they did was kick the can down the road and say, well, the states can decide if they can murder babies. They don't even actually give the constitutional right of life that is supposed to be there. But they simply say, oh, each state can decide whether a person is a person, no matter how small. It's ridiculous. But when I see all of this going on, when you see these these monuments being built and literally it is a monument, a Medusa like monument with serpents, it is a monument in order to not only honor someone who wanted the right all the way across America to be able to murder your child in the womb whenever you want, not only is it to honor that person, but when I look at it, it's to honor the sacrifice itself. And it makes me think, and I've talked about this on other shows, but I want to bring this up again because it makes me think of Jeremiah 32. In Jeremiah 32, 35, it says, they built the high places of Baal that are in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire of Moloch, which I had not commanded them, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And in one of the Midrashes, actually, that talks about this, which is a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, that talks about this, gives us a little bit of a historical background. Now, if you want to know Ben Hinnom, or Gehenna as well, when you see Jesus using that, is a picture, by the way, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, as Jews said, as the book of Jude says, is a picture of the eternal fire that will come to those who do not know Christ, who engage in sexual immorality and so forth. But 
Gehenna itself was a picture. The constant burning and fire was to point as a picture of what the lake of fire will actually look like. And so Ben-Hinnom, this same place where they were doing this, one of the things that one of the Midrashes actually talks about is what they would do to drown out the crying of the children being sacrificed. And it says this, how did the Moloch work in the valley of Ben-Hinnom? It was built outside of Jerusalem. It was an idol with the face of a calf and open hands like someone who wants to take something from another. They would light this idol on fire until his hands were scorching. There were seven chambers before him, and according to the quality of the sacrifice, that is how close one could come to him. If one came with a bird, then chamber one, goat chamber two, sheep chamber three, calf chamber four, cow chamber five, and ox chamber six, he who brought his child, the priest, would say, that he is offering the greatest sacrifice. He would enter the innermost chamber and go kiss Moloch. The priest would then take the child and place it near Moloch. They would then bang the drums to drown out the cries. Come see how obsessed the nation was with idol worship, that they were willing to do something so reprehensible. But in the future, says God, quote, I will remove your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You see, idol worship has been a problem for a very long time, and so many who are sacrificing their children today may not be doing it to Moloch, but ultimately they're doing it behind the demon that was behind Moloch all along. In fact, in Psalm 96.5, it says that the gods of the nation, like Baal, Moloch, and so forth, that they are demons. That's actually the Septuagint rendering. And during his dialogue with Trypho the Jew, that's exactly how Justin Martyr, the early church father, quoted the text, that these idols are ultimately demons. And that's exactly how Paul saw it, saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when he talks about not sitting at the, at the table of demons and of God at the same time. He talks about how the fact that the idols are not just idols, but actually behind them are demons. And that's exactly what Psalm 96.5 actually tells us. And this is exactly what they're doing today. The priests of modern time are drowning out with drums, with the sounds of drums, drowning out the cries of the innocent in the womb. And they're doing this with propaganda. They're doing this at your public school system where Planned Parenthood comes and visits and gives out free condoms to your children. They're doing this through social media and through TikTok and through your favorite artists, your favorite musical artists like Halsey and like Rihanna and so many of these artists who push for abortion to be legalized, even though they themselves now have children that they hold and embrace today, they tell women that guess what? And young girls that they can abort. And in many places, a child could go and abort their child without even telling their parents. These are the sounds of the drums. It's just a little bit deeper on the bass. And it plays song after song. And the false prophetess of this age are now telling them, the false priests of these, this age are now telling them that it's completely fine to do these things. And let's build a big Medusa in honor of the resistance. What resistance? The school that you go to, the public school, guess what? Your teacher is probably pro-death. Guess what? The school that you go to for college, your coworkers, everyone around you pushes this culture of death. Those drums are getting louder and louder. And guess what? Every coward of a man who would take a woman who you slept with outside of marriage and take them over to an abortion clinic to kill your baby, your 
banging those drums as loud as you can. And it's disgusting. And you're a part of that Medusa snake. You're a part of that. And basically you've turned into stone while looking at that snake. And the the serpent has got you. The Yahash, he has gotten you and he has his fangs in you. Repent and turn. And idol worship has been there from the very beginning in the church in the sense that they've had to come bat it, not by always tearing it down under the new covenant, but ultimately those things would be torn down because guess what? The believers would come to know Christ and then they would impact the world and the blood of the Christians, the death of the Christians would be the seed of the church and the church, because of its true morality, based on the morality of God, based on his character, would erode the Roman Empire from the inside out over and over again. The true conscience, the Holy Spirit as a fragrant aroma of believers, this is the very thing that would erode these disgusting cultures. And in fact, when we look back, they had to deal with this quite often. In fact, we think about the church of Ephesus. Many people point to the fact that John the Apostle pastored the church of Ephesus. But what was going on in Ephesus? Actually, one of the seven wonders of the world was in Ephesus. And what was it? Her temple at Ephesus, Diana, or Artemis, as it says in the New Testament, was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the world. In the Hellenistic and early Roman period, her worship was the most important of the cults in Asia Minor. And she was venerated throughout the whole Mediterranean area. The Latin name Diana was adopted by the Old Latin and the Vulgate as the equivalent of the Greek Artemis. And we read about this in Acts chapter 19. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, quote, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then, some were shouting, one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. The majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward and have motioned with his hand. Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So, since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess, 
So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Notice some of the things they're doing. This is an undeniable fact. These false gods, they're an undeniable fact, right? We're told to trust the science. We're told, oh, no, this is not a baby, it's a fetus, which just means small child in Latin. But nonetheless, over and over again, this worship of idols, which is what it is, over and over again, this worship of self, which is exactly what it is, over and over again, it's a repackaged lie from the enemy. And he does it over and over again. And this is something that the early church had to deal with. But guess what? They still turn the world upside down. Where is that wonderful figure of Artemis or Diana? It's in ruins. It's in rubble. And I'm telling you this right now, just as it says in Ezekiel chapter 13, of the false prophets of his time, the false prophets who prophesied good things when only bad was coming, those false prophets in Ezekiel chapter 13 God says they're like jackals or foxes under the, the rubble. They're not helping build anything up. They're hurting them. Any pastor who stands aside and does not speak out against this to his congregation, any pastor who claims to be a pro-life pa- or pro-choice pastor, guess what? They're phonies. They're fakes. They're not a pastor. They're like foxes among the rubble. They do nothing to build it up. They just tear down and they just steal, kill, and destroy. And speaking of stealing, killing, and destroying, Madonna has gone back to trying to shock people in order to, I guess, remain relevant. But the main issue is for Madonna is that people don't care anymore. Sadly enough, in the culture, people just don't care. In fact, she thinks that blasphemy is going to get her back to a place where she's relevant again. And just as one of the articles said that, you know what? She doesn't even realize that blasphemy stopped being edgy like 20 years ago. Now, that's a sad reality, but it's true nonetheless. It's normative that the culture hates God. It's normative for cartoons to be blasphemous towards the one true God. Over and over again, we see that with regular occurrence. And so I don't know where she's getting this, but once again, she uses the picture of the Last Supper in order to blaspheme Jesus Christ. And even though she's in her 60s, and and if I'm just being honest, with all the plastic surgery, looks more like non-human than human a lot of times if you look at her, sadly enough, uh, and trying to stay relevant is a lot of that reason that she looks that way. But this is something that's actually quite popular. In fact, Beyonce posted on her Instagram a picture of her taking the place of Jesus during a concert in the Last Supper. And then took it down, of course, to try to hide that fact. Ariana Grande herself, when she performed her song, God is a Woman, and we have an entire video expose on this. When she performed her song, God is a Woman, she did the same thing. Basically had a makeshift orgy with a bunch of ladies and puts herself in the place of Jesus. This is just commonplace. And for Madonna, 
This is the modus operandi. This is her MO for a number of years to outrage some, just enough people, so that those who are rebellious and are of the prince of the power of the air, that they would be excited to follow her. She's made an entire song using terminology of prayer, using the terminology of prayer while talking about ultimately sexually explicit things, while also being underneath and looking very sexually at a man who was being crucified. She even opened up for the late Swedish DJ Avicii in Florida and asked the crowd, I have a few questions for you. How many people in this crowd have seen Molly? And in order to be relevant, even named her album at that time after MDMA, just playing on it a little bit to make it look like her name, which is the cleanest form of the drug ecstasy. And this is seemingly her M.O. She thinks, I'll just continue to be more and more relevant, the more blasphemous, the more outrageous I can be. And sadly enough, the truth is, is that her time is running out. The saddest part about all this is that she's famously made books of her sexual exploits, taking picture with famous people and so forth. And yet herself, she seems to be somewhat by herself now. She needs these outrages uh, of people to validate herself and her relationships when she's had many failed relationships, like with Sean Penn and Guy Ritchie. And basically, at towards the end of her life, as you can see the discontentment that she has, you see that basically all she has to hold on to at night is her, her awards because she's used and exploited all these people. But I say all this in hopes that she would repent. And just like we pray for anyone that is on these shows that we talk about, whether false teachers or otherwise, we pray for a complete repentance. And I think about her and Ariana Grande and, and Beyonce and all these blasphemous ladies and even the artwork and everything that's up. And I think about when I look at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, and I'll try to do this quickly, in Revelation chapter 2, Thyatira is the only non-major city out of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And it was actually a military garrison, and it would be used to defend, ultimately from the big giant metropolises, defend them so that robbers wouldn't come and steal from the big places, and Thyatira would be the first one as a military garrison. And the problem with Thyatira is the opposite problem of Ephesus. With Ephesus, they had a problem with love. They had a problem with love. They had forgotten their first love. But guess what? They were really good at defending against false teachers. Thyatira seemingly has the exact opposite problems. They're doing some great deeds and all of that, but they're allowing the woman Jezebel. They're allowing them in their midst. And we need to make sure we're not allowing any Jezebels in our midst, false teachings to come into our midst and that we're defending. And ultimately, when I think about this story, not only do I think about that of saying, hey, we need to watch for false doctrine, but we also need to not be Ephesus. We're no longer loving the very people that we're trying to preach against, actually. But that we get to a place where we can say, wow, even God gave Jezebel room to repent. So I'm going to try to give that room to even the people we expose here. Give them room to repent because I know how much I've been saved from. And I'm sure if you're a believer, you know how much you've been saved from and just what it meant when Jesus Christ died a horrible death on a cross on your behalf and said those that beautiful word to Telestai that it was paid in full. And for anyone who doesn't know Christ, if you turn to him right now, your sins are bought and paid for because when God looks at you in the day of judgment, he will see 
Jesus Christ and not you and not be a comparison of your good and bad works, but he will see whether or not it's been bought and paid for or whether or not you're going to pay for it for all eternity. So if Jezebel got room to repent, we hope room for others and that we could bring them in. For God takes no pleasure in the death of wicked, rather they would turn and live. God bless you guys. This has been Chad Davidson. This is the 511 News.